Hey everyone, this is Cameron from Renegade Animation on RenegadePopCulture.com. If you like what we do, please give us a like, a follow, and a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. We are everywhere. That way, we can keep doing what we love, and that's talking about the current state of adult animation in 2022. And now, on with the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. We have a very fun episode for you planned for today. We are talking about the current state of adult animation in 2022 with a special highlight on shows like Inside Job and Little Demon. Probably one of the bigger surprises of the year, but we'll get to that in a second. For now, Cameron, how would you describe the landscape of adult animation this year as a whole? Well, I would say we're still in the same general ballpark as last year primal season two was a huge hit and housebroken is about to have a couple specials on the way but we've also had some casualties like duncanville which i thought was pretty charming for the first two seasons got canceled after its third season the great north is still going strong bob's burgers is still going strong American Dad is kind of in purgatory right now because of the uh, Warner Brothers discovery. So, mm. uh, yeah, it's like no animated show is safe from the Warner Brothers discovery fiasco. American Dad in particular is a special case because new episodes are airing on TBS, but it's under 20th century animation. So, yeah, they're a very tight spot. And sadly, stuff like Tuca and Birdie got canceled. And Final Space, I don't think even got its third season out before it got written as part of that huge tax write-off because of Warner Brothers Discovery. Just, God, that guy who's in charge of that company is the worst. Just the biggest monster to art in history outside of other big CEOs that don't really give a hoot about art, but love all that money. it's frustrating absolutely maddening but then we get stuff like fairview do you remember fairview not a damn bit we're not talking about that because it is literally impossible unless you want to rent or buy the episodes like on amazon to watch what i think is quite possibly the worst adult animated series of 2022 that's saying something there is no way to watch it and there was like no audience for it i could not pick up who that show was meant for it's just odd because comedy central has yet another adult animated political comedy in the pipeline and who knows what the failure of this show what will happen with this other one we'll have to see i guess paramount plus lost their big adult animated comedy that I was a little bummed out by, but I understood why it go past the first season. But then we had some surprises. The Beavis and Butthead revival was very well received. And Bee and Puppycat turned to be one of the most delightful shows on Netflix, finally getting released. Yeah, after how many years? Two or three, I think. I don't know. It was quite a wait. And then there's stuff like Smiling Friends, which 
took the internet by storm and has become one of the new vanguards of adult animation. And of course, we're still getting like Arcane Season 2. We still have yet to see the Dragon Age animated series that's coming out, which I'm hoping is great. It's Studio Mirror. Oh, yeah, same. But then we had some shows that came out of nowhere, I think. Like with, I mean, not literal nowhere. We knew about Little Demon when it was first announced. We talked about it when we used to cover the animation news of the week. I think everyone was kind of like, okay, what's going to happen with this one? Let's quickly talk about this one. So Little Demon is about this young girl named Cassie who is in a very tumultuous, fraught family situation of a kid getting caught in a divorce that's on a biblical level because she is the daughter of the devil satan himself voiced by danny devito and our lead character is voiced by his daughter lucy devito which is a fun little detail and then we have the mother who is voiced by aubrey plaza the whole situation is basically laura the mom and satan just trying to figure out what the heck to do with Chrissy. And the really interesting angle about this show is how it shows a family that's really just messed up. There's no real other way to put it because they want to do their own specific thing with Chrissy and her powers. What's so fascinating is like they care about her but not to a real extent of actual love. It's more that Chrissy is an item to be fought over and such, like a sacred amulet or what have you. This is basically the extreme example of how people in dysfunctional families show their love and affection. We'll get to the end of the season in a second, but I think the conclusion that they come to for Chrissy's character is honestly really refreshing and a nice spin on stories like this that we've seen before. It's fascinating because neither one of the parents, Laura or, you know, Satan, are shown in a very good light. They have their sympathetic moments, but you wouldn't call them great parents. Laura is extremely hostile and aggressive towards anyone Understandably so, because they could be a demon in disguise or Satan trying to screw everything over. And Satan is all just about, I want my powers back, but I also want to be a father figure for Chrissy. And Chrissy, on multiple occasions, has called out both of them. Not that Chrissy doesn't have her own moments of where it's partially her uh, doing, but it's really on the parents. It's very critical of them as parents. Yeah, I think with how it ends... With like Chrissy just being like, listen, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to find my way of how I want to grow up and such. It's very refreshing. I agree with that. Because they could have easily just had Laura and Satan get back together and love and one another. It's like, no, there's way too much emotional baggage connected to both characters to be fully satisfying parents to Chrissy. And Chrissy is able to stand up to on her own, like with her own terms of what she wants to do. I think that's really cool. You don't see animated shows do this that are aimed at adult audiences. They go either one of two routes, either in this case, 
Chrissy would have been like fully right as rain with her mom, or she would have like immediately turned to the dark side and gone to Satan. But instead, choosing her own path is like the best option for her. I love like the specific ways that she gets to that conclusion. Also, I love the supporting cast. They are a lot of fun. Yeah, so with Chrissy, her best friend is Bennigan, voiced by Eugene Codero, who, if you're a Star Trek Lower Decks fan, you would know him as Insane Rutherford from that, or you would have known him as Jamie from Steven Universe. Then with Laura, her best friend or neighbor friend, like reluctant best friend, we'll say that, Darlene, voiced by Lennon Parham, is... Like the, she fits into that, any upper area of age, and then she's still living life to the fullest. Something that Laura is just like, no, I (laughs) really don't want to. And then Satan just has, well, his bartender friend, Snake with Arms. Yeah, that's his name. And it's just a snake with arms, who's voiced by Charlie McWade. There are other characters as well, like Asmodeus is voiced by Sam Richardson. Funny enough, the game show host during, I think was the second episode or third, is voiced by Arnold Schwarzenegger. I thought that was just someone doing a, a like a Schwarzenegger impression, but it is actually him. Shangela is the voice of the queen. I don't know if you're watching Dancing with the Stars this season, but she has been killing it. Just want to take that side quest. And then there's also like Jimmy, the demon with the trunk voiced by William Jackson Harper. And I love hearing William Jackson Harper's voice and voice acting. He's great in Dogs in Space. By the way, watch Dogs in Space. That's a delightful little show. What's really cool with Chrissy and like her dynamic with Finnegan, it's very like normal for the most part. They work off of each other very well, just in their own teenage awkwardness. But there are moments where Chrissy tries to help Finnegan and it really does backfire. The route and the little sub-stories that these first season takes from Laura encountering the sea hag, which that's probably my favorite episode, maybe, which is, I think, episode nine. Mm -hmm. And just her coming to terms with how she has raised Chrissy and how just with all the baggage that she has onto her own character and the really depressing journal entry that really splits Chrissy and Laura's relationship apart is heartbreaking. It is. Like what works about this show is it's not constantly mean. All these characters are flawed and interesting individuals. This isn't like that Paradise PD creator show Farzar where I don't think there's a likable character there. And I know I recently tweeted about like, do we just not like flawed characters anymore? No, the problem is when someone tries to make a flawed, unlikable character, they lean way too much on the mean-spirited nature of it all. It makes it for a cast that is entirely unpleasant to sit through. And there's really no reason to watch something like Farzar when, why should I care what happens to all these people? The difference between a good adult animated series and a bad one is because most of these have that quote-unquote unlikable character. The difference is you need that emotional anchor, and Little Demon found that anchor. Yeah, with its main character, Chrissy, and the parents, and the surprise delight of the show, the unshaven man voiced by Michael Shannon. I love how his arc goes from, like, I'm going to kill the Antichrist 
gets his ding dang doodle shot off and it's like i'm going to kill this kid because it got my ding dang doodle shot off and then he finds himself kind of like contemplating what he actually wants to do with life after he encounters satan and laura in the final episode it's a lot of fun to see where some of these dynamics go where snake with arms is basically satan's moral compass and there are like other little characters like Irwin voiced by Seth Kirshner and Irwin is just kind of like listen I will be small ears but also I'm not going to do jack squat for you <laughs> at times and the animation looks pretty nice for all things considered with the adult animation pipeline I think it may helps that Dan Harmon is an executive producer for this show Mm-hmm. And the production companies listed are Jersey Second Avenue, Evil Hag Productions, Harmonious Claptrap, and Shadow Machine and Atomic Cartoons. Even though it might look like a lot of other adult animated comedies out there for TV or streaming, they find a way to make the visuals more dynamic with different kinds of lighting, fluid movements, different poses, different camera angles. It all works. And they all like make for one of the more horror shows, otherworldly horror. This show leans a lot into the occult and more supernatural kind of horror. And I love the world building in this. I love all the different dimensions that we get to visit, all the creatures we encounter. And they even take a lot of jabs at religion and myths. I love the episode where Chrissy becomes one of the popular girls but they're basically using her abilities to summon their version of Slenderman, Slim Tim. Oh God, Slim Tim. Yeah, there's an episode here and there that will sometimes cover religious extremism, especially like in that spirit world episode. Satan's Lot? Yeah, it's very amusing to see the Antichrist be the moral high ground character compared to what Satan is. Like when the Antichrist is the most morally good character to show who had saying something like you said it has an emotional core that makes you like you want everything to be okay but these characters have to know that they messed up you can't just undo everything and then start from scratch which i feel like that's what's happened to a lot of these adult comedies family guy has done that where it's just like yeah, we're going to be extremely mean and miserable for a lot of the episodes, except for like the rare few where it's like, oh, that's actually decent. But like, if you've seen from what we do in the shadows, which I love that show, we just started on season four, but it seems like they regressed back to square one and that's never a good sign. And here it seems like they've set things up to where They can't go back. They can't just keep Satan being who he is. They can't keep Laura from being who she is. Things I think are going to happen with Chrissy. Like she'll grow and she'll see where she wants to use her power. And I think that's really sweet. Just a show that wants to actually invest the viewer with what the tale they want to spin. Do we know yet the fate of this series? Do we know if it's getting a second season? So far, I haven't seen a season two, but I'm hoping for the best. I feel like this one was absolutely under the radar great. I think the show that was created by Darcy Fowler, Seth Kishner, and Kieran Valla, they crafted a 
really unique take on the adult animated comedy. Like, yes, it's violent. It can be crass and crude. A shocking amount of nudity. Not a shocking amount, but it's interesting to see how many times Laura is in the buff, per se. Because I was not expecting that. And I don't know what it looks like on TV, but on Hulu, it's like, oh, okay. I don't know if if FX like heavily censored any of this on TV, but it's weird watching this like uncensored on streaming. Most shows that go from TV to streaming, there's not that big of a difference from airing to online and such. It's a really good show. I want more people to watch the show. Like, get on Hulu right now and, like, just watch the 10 episodes that were put out. It's a complex and very fascinating experience of watching an adult animated comedy that's not trying to be, like, Family Guy or Rick and Morty or whatever else is popular. It's about a kid dealing with her parents' very toxic and disastrous divorce as they try to use her for their own needs, and the kid finding her own path of what she wants to do with her powers. Saying like, hey, I'm going to need to be away from you for a while. I will come back when I feel like I'm ready. Not when you're ready, when I'm ready. This is basically a coming-of-age sitcom that leans heavily into the occult. A lot of syndicated shows can't afford to do that because they have to continuously be like re-syndicated, re-aired. So you don't want to feel like you missed a crucial story beat, which is what I think does hurt a lot of adult comedies that go on too long. They become monotonous because you know the characters can't age or get better or whatever. And to be fair, some shows do work with that and run with it. Like it's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Another uh, Danny DeVito starring sitcom. It revels in the fact that, yeah, these characters can't move in life because otherwise the show would be over. So let's take the mean spirit in nature and just crank it into overdrive. But I think while I do like less story driven shows, I like an overall story, not just, Oh, there's a vague sense of an overarching plot, but like actual character growth. I think for me, I'm fine with both episodic and serialized stories, but if you're going to choose one or the other, either the story has to be like really good, or if you're not going to do the story, you just have to be really funny. That's why Smiling Friends clicked with me instantly. There's so much content in the world. You can't take too much time to set everything up. You have to give a reason for people to watch the show in the first place. Like, I forgot if it came out last year or this year, but Chicago Party Aunt. I keep hearing that there's a part two, but I don't know where that part two is. I think that's kind of telling. Or you hit an area where, like, Big Mouth, there's a show that's starting to really, like, it's growing in some ways, but it's also regressing in some ways, where it's like, it really can't make these characters evolve it's gotten to the point where the spinoff show uh, human resources is a way better show because it just doesn't fully focus on the kid characters i know that sounds weird but it's just like i do think human resources is a better show than big mouth but i think little demon blows a majority of the adult animation from this year out of the water i would have to agree maybe it's on par with the beavis and butthead film and Bob's Burgers. But otherwise, it's up there. It's probably one of the top 10 best new animated cartoons of 2022. It surprised the hell out of me. 
pun half intended. It's now time to really, really dive into the odd conspiracy riddled world of inside job. I'm really happy we're able to absolutely talk about this one and with more time to actually discuss it because it was one of the better shows of last year but this new part i'm glad that they're not calling it a new season because you know the whole uh, netflix thing they're slowly learning yeah (laughs) i will see but with this new part i think inside job has taken not only the crown but the throne in the entire mountain of adult animation. This one show by Shion Takauchi and executive producer Alex Hirsch of, you know, Gravity Falls fame has blown every other adult animated show out of the water, at least in the comedy section, because Arcane and Primal are pretty much the best of the adult action section of the adult animation scene so mike tell us a little bit about what the premise is with inside job all right so inside job is a workplace comedy set in the world where many conspiracy theories are real it is centered on an american shadow government organization called cognito inc which attempts to control the world and keep the conspiracy secret the series follows a team led by a tech genius and her new partner as they work in the organization alongside reptilian shapeshifters, a human-dolphin hybrid, a sapient mushroom from Hollow Earth. The show rules. I remember when we first heard about this, how I was very captivated by the general premise. Just because conspiracy theories are always sort of fun to explore every once in a while, but the way this show flips the vet concept on its head pretty much every episode, it's mind-blowing. With Inside Job, what they do is pretty much take all of the conspiracies that you've heard, which range from being harmless, really stupid and far-fetched, to xenophobic, anti-Semitic, and hateful, to a lot of degrees, really dangerous to people in the world that these theories hurt. To be clear, I was referring to the sillier ones, not the more recent dangerous ones. But what happens with this show is they reverse how the conspiracy theories are laid out. They really quite literally defang the more hateful ones. I think that is so smart because there are some pieces of media that are like, oh, this person believes in lizard people. And it's like, yeah, we got it. No, we got to stop using that as a shorthand joke for people who are not all well in the head. Inside Job takes those and takes out all of the hateful elements of it which is so creative it's impressive how they do that because i'm sure uh Shion and hirsch and their teams of writers and such were very careful about how they approach these i do find it funny that with all of these things that they're like oh yeah no we did do something like they faked a moon landing but not because the reasons everyone believes in because it we made a hippie sex colony on the moon and we want nobody to go up there. (laughs) I think the best punchline is with all of these theories that they keep turning out, flat earthers are still in the wrong. That was great. The earth's not flat. It's hollow earth with dinosaurs and mushroom people down there. (laughs) And kaiju. What's so impressive about this show 
is how timely its jokes are. Like some of them write themselves. This show picked a perfect premise for an almost unlimited well of humor that they could pull from. Everything from the Kennedy assassination to those stories of like, oh, wait, the celebrity's not dead. I saw them here. And it's like, oh, yeah, we cloned them. Jumping ahead to part two, they take some really clever and hilarious jabs at concepts like the Mandela effect and Fox News and just the media in general in an episode called Brettwork, where basically Cognito Inc. is the ones who control their versions of CNN and Fox News. I don't want to ruin all the jokes, but it's another Brett-focused episode. And given what they've told us about his family in part one, you can probably guess where they're going with this story. I loved the episode where they bring on, I don't think they got Keanu Reeves to actually like voice himself there. The show has like a really good cast, but it's also like not in the game of getting celebrities to play their own characters, which is a little bit of a bummer, but I get it. But I also think like if you can't come on a show like The Simpsons or whatever and not make fun of yourself, you have no sense of humor as an actor. Because the second part, when uh, Reagan finds out that her mom is dating Keanu Reeves, they play up every little joke from those internet memes of, wow, I found Nicolas Cage from 1822 or something like that. And then for some reason, uh, Larry David. It's funny because like in that whole episode, they play up the time travel things of like, oh my gosh, people like Nicolas Cage, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Keanu Reeves, immortal vampires. And then for some reason, Larry David is there. But they also play up some more recent gags and jokes like how... Leonardo ditches every woman that he's dating once they turn 26. And they even point out that, like, Keanu Reeves, how dare you date age-appropriate women? And even in the first episode of part two, once, like, the whole first season ends where Reagan's dad, uh, Rand, they have a lot of fun Ian Rand jokes at the expense of Rand Riley, the father Reagan. Good catch who's voiced by Christian Slater. I love that role. He's that like one of those kind of actors who can ease through the whole lovable scumbag, no matter how terrible he gets. On the same show, that like this is another one of those adult animated comedies that finds a balance between caring about all the characters, but also making them all insufferable in their own separate ways. Like Brett Hand, who's voiced by Clark Duke, is the yes man. He got there not because of his talents or his intelligence or skills. He got there because of connections. He barely did a thing and got into like the co-leader chair with Reagan first part. But that's exactly why I love his arc in part two, because for lack of a better term, this is where he grows a spine. I like these side casts. In the first half, they definitely play off a one note side of their characters like dr andre voiced by bobby lee is the drug addict who you know what they say don't get hooked on your own plies but he does that because he's in charge of all the chemicals and like diseases and such that have done stuff like really <laughs> just dark 
jokes come from Dr. Andre's position. And then there's a Glenn Dolph man who was like a take on the whole like super soldier thing where he was a soldier combined with the DNA of a dolphin voiced by John DiMaggio. And while they play him up with the whole military meathead macho chauvinistic side of his character during part one and part two they find ways to make him more lovable but that's also because john dimaggio knows what he's doing Gigi, i like that she's in charge of all like social media and like literally running the shadow government running the news which i thought that was a great little reveal in like that episode that you reference oh yeah and, and then there's just magic mike a mushroom voiced by brett gelman once again 2021 was the year where Brett Gelman played government like secured creatures of unknown origin. There was Arlo the Alligator Boy where he played the fish man. Then there's Magic Mike where he's this sentient talking mushroom who is probably the most sassiest, obnoxious, but also really funny character to show. Like he dishes it out. But he also can't really take it, which makes it even funnier when people snipe back at him. He's like, how dare you? And how they then, like with part two, they also build up upon other organizations like the Illuminati with our pseudo side major character with Adam Scott's Ron Statler. Well, first of all, I loved his character. I love Adam Scott. He has this grounded, sensible person in the room vibe of him. And that's who he kind of was with his characters in like Parks and Rec and what have you. I loved his, like how they worked with the Illuminati and such. And then you find out like who's a part of the Illuminati with Jay-Z, Beyonce, Lin-Manuel Miranda. If you are a fan of Dunkin' On, any of these people, the first or second episode gives you a ton to work with yep. and to enjoy. But also the, the first episode of part two had some of the most oddly timed jokes of the year. I don't quite think there was any real consideration when the line, this is going to be the biggest midlife crisis disaster since Elon Musk happened especially if you know what's going on right now with Twitter. They could not have timed that any better. And uh, jabs at Alex Jones and Joe Rogan. It's like with what's going on with them. It's perfect timing. I don't think I've seen a show land so on time than with this one, because most of the time animation takes months to years to craft. By the time it comes out, it might not have the most timely humor, which is why they don't try to do timely humor. South Park gets away with it, but that's because they found a program and a system to where they can pump out an episode in three days, which is probably to that show's detriment, but I digress. We're not here to talk about South Park. All of these jokes, so many at rapid fire succession landed and they feel relevant. And they're going to feel timely years from now. I just think that first episode just kind of blew my mind of how well the jokes landed. I think also another one of my favorite episodes is in the first part where they make fun of nostalgia and how it's weaponized. 
how they essentially made a small town in Colorado or something think they're stuck in the 80s. Is it just me or is it a coincidence that both that episode and the Fox News episode are both the fifth episode of each part and they're both centered around Brett? That's a very big coincidence unless I was intentional. But I love how much they make fun of the fact that nostalgia is marketing and weaponized for the consumer. We've been swimming in 80s nostalgia for way too long, and it's become less charming and more cynical and gross because of how corporations basically took what was like, oh, a fun look back, and then just sucked the soul out of it. And I love the ending of that episode where they're like, oh yeah, we're going to sit down and watch this movie and it's going to be great it cuts to them like later it's like so they're just chaining them up to the wall the brother who obviously has some issues yeah that doesn't age well (laughs) or like poor dr andre getting all the asian stereotype jokes from the 80s oh yeah showed at him this town is racist as hell and every time i talk there's a gong that goes off the gong goes off oh it's so sad And then Magic Mike gets the E.T. treatment, but it's like the worst case of like, what if E.T. was just a stoner loser? The fun little touches of, hello, I'm Elliot the Mothman. I'm a Mothman. I'm in charge of HR. (laughs) Oh, Ron Funches as Elliot Mothman. One of the fun little casting choices in this show, along with Noel Atkinson, who's voiced by Alex Hirsch himself. Alex Hirsch loves to play the most offbeat characters of anything that he's in. I love Alex Hirsch so much in these like smaller roles. Though another scene stealer for me was Robotis, fake robot president, which they were going to use to replace the actual president before they just put a shock collar on the actual president. (laughs) Because, you know, the AI became sentient and aware and almost killed humanity, but didn't. And I love all the little jokes from the first part. Especially like how he, he's threatened with like being forced to watch Friends. And then he's like, ah, how Chandler and Monica of you. <laughs> and it's like, wow, really? What? They're an ideal couple. And then in the second part, where in the whole making fun of CNN and Fox News parts come up, he's like, oh, I love televised news. It's like watching the apocalypse in slow motion. It's smart. It's not reinforcing or saying Or like even, it's not supporting any of these conspiracy theories. It's not supporting the nut jobs and the people that have made it their entire ordeal to be part of these conspiracy theory groups. Because yikes, horror stories that you hear about loved ones getting lost in those like rabbit holes, like yeesh. It's smart enough to make sure that never happens. Basically, the thesis of this show is it's taking a look at all of these theories, but with a like a sharp critical lens and just pointing out the ridiculousness of them all. Like, if you follow the logic to, like, the extreme. Yeah, once again, I want to say I love the voice cast. Lizzie Kaplan as Reagan. I love Christian Slater, Clark Duke, Andrew Daly, Bobby Lee, John DiMaggio, Tisha Campbell-Martin. And Brett Gelman. They also have some other nice surprises. Like you'll hear Kevin Michael Richardson, Gray Griffin. William Jackson Harper shows up again as Brian Jacobson. And then there's Kate McCucci as one of the 80s kids. Timothy Simons is Harold the Flat Earther 
lunatic. These James Bond-like supervillain Dr. Skullfingers. That sounds like a DC or old Marvel supervillain. Dr. Skullfingers, who's voiced by Zachary Quinto. I loved Melvin uh, Stupowitz, voiced by Henry Winkler. Oprah is voiced by Deborah Wilson. I love Deborah Wilson. She's great. There is like an emotional core because like the first part is all about Reagan pretty much overcoming her long, obviously emotionally scarring memories of dealing with her father and mother and really just breaking free of that to sadly lose all control of Cognito Inc. to Rand. And then with the second part, we actually do give, for the most part, Reagan like a happier outcome with life. She's very happy with Adam Scott's character, Ron Stadler. And their relationship, for the most part, it was very healthy. But they didn't really take it into many predictable, like, fraught relationship drama or anything like that. At most, the drama with their relationship is just, they had a hard time mixing business with pleasure. And that's just because things just happened to go wrong anytime they tried to see each other. Were you ready for the emotional gut punch that this show was going to drop? And it's like last two episodes. No, I was hopeful that not knowing the state of this show's future, I was hopeful that Reagan would have some sort of happy ending. But instead, knowing the rhythm of part one, part two is like, hey, uh, you know that happy ending that Reagan could have? Uh, nope. Yeah, nope. It was tragic as she struggled to find a way to make the relationship work. Not only like within the very final episode, but the second last one when Rand is trying to find the alternate universe where he is back together with his ex-wife and Reagan. And what works about the dynamic between Rand, Reagan, and Brett, Brett is never a love interest to Reagan. He's more of like a best friend, a and like a real platonic friendship kind of thing. And I love that. They act like best friends at points, which is, again, healthy that everyone on the team actually likes one another to a degree. Yeah, I was going to say. Then with Rand and Reagan, like Rand's terrible. He's egocentric, just the most destructive individual on the show. And going like through these extremes just to try to get back together with his ex-wife and then in episode nine, when you find out that he's using this thing called Project Reboot, which those are probably some of my favorite pop culture jokes of mm -hmm. there because of the whole Kazam, Shazam <laughs> debacle. I was not expecting that to be the biggest laugh throughout the whole episode. Like I love when Brett comes in. He's just like, yeah, this is Shazam with Sinbad. And then J.R., comes back who was like the first head of Cognito Inc. But now is like the intern right hand to Rand. He's like, hey everybody, what the hell is that? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's Shazam with Sinbad. It's like, no, that never existed. And does the whole uh Bearstein, Bearstein, Bears. They go through the entire Mandela effect in this episode and it's great. And then you find Rand pretty much in tears. Like no matter what he does, 
with all of the plans that he's concocted throughout part one and part two, there will never be a timeline where he is back together with Reagan's mom. And you see the heartbreak in his character and Christian Slater's performance. It's amazing how your guard is dropped. Because you're kind of expecting Rand to be like the villain of the season. He's just a sad, desperate old man. And then he's just like, don't follow in my footsteps, Reagan. Things like won't always work out. And Reagan tries to make the relationship between her and Ron work. She goes through all these different alternate timelines, different decisions making, and it just never works out. And that last little bit of the episode of like, after we find out the whole taped shadow organization that runs Cognito Inc., the origins of that, and Reagan getting the offer to run it, that whole sequence where she finally succumbs to the fact that she and Ron are never going to be together for right now, or if ever, and wiping his mind to give him the actual memory of like what will make him happy as she sacrifices her happiness for for him to have a better life than his obviously miserable, depressing life that he told Reagan about with being part of the Illuminati and such. It's probably one of the most bittersweet endings for these two characters. It's so depressing because you're not sure what Reagan chooses for the outcome to be because you think like wait a minute i think i found it and you think it's going to be with her leaving cognito inc to be with him and by the way as this is going on everyone else is having to take down all these anomalies including preventing the world from collapsing because Airbud exists somehow shion and alex were able to make that work to balance out the story of the Airbud shenanigans with the devastating relationship fate between Reagan and Ron. And Daniel Kibblesmith and Shion Takeuchi were in charge of writing the episode. It was heartbreaking, probably the saddest moment in animation this year, or at least one that I can think of off the top of my head as she watches Ron have the life that he needs to be better while she goes to work with Cognito Inc or whatever those hooded figures want with Reagan to do with Cognito Inc. And I was just amazed. I never see that many adult animated series take the time to absolutely gut punch you with emotions to be like to tell an actual story of heartbreak because a lot of times they'll try to be sentimental and then absolutely fail by cracking a joke or something but here they don't crack a joke or the jokes never pile back onto the scene reagan goes back to cognito inc happy to see brett there air bud <laughs> grows opposable thumbs. That's probably the only laugh that actually happens because they literally went out of their way to make basketball rule books where dogs can't play basketball. <laughs> it makes me mad that there aren't more shows like Inside Job that are willing to dive into the psychosis of the characters. And I'm not saying I don't want dumb, violent nonsense. I like that stuff too. However, there comes a point to where you need to start offering something to viewers or else they will 
change the channel, go to a different streaming service, go to a different show on that same streaming service. There's a reason why shows like Hoops, The Prince, and Fairview are probably never coming back. Good riddance to those ones. And there's a reason why people are still going to be talking about like the emotional episodes of Futurama, the emotional episodes of The Simpsons, of Bob's Burgers, or The Great North, or Primal and Arcane. I think we'll still be talking about Little Demon and Inside Job, depending on how long they go. I like Rick and Morty, but because of how the crew, the teams, have written themselves in a corner, I think hurts a lot of the emotional moments that that show wants to have but can't quite accomplish that because of the rules that the show has set up for itself. Like it wasn't meant to be a story-driven show. It was trying to be like a non-story-driven syndicated show. But then something happened and writers were like, well, I want to write a story. We need to start having a story. But then it's like, has a hard time flip-flopping. Yes, we'll do it or no, we won't. And we'll just come up with an excuse to put everyone back on square one. By the time this episode is released, the first episode of the second half of season six will have aired. I'm hoping that the season closes out as strong as it started because season six started phenomenally. Yeah, Rick and Morty is one of those that really needs to figure out what it wants to be because if it doesn't, it's going to lose its audience. I think it almost kind of has already to a degree. People are still going to watch it. It's still super popular. It's not going to end up like The Walking Dead, where it's just like, it's finally ending and nobody cares. I think people will care about whatever happens to Rick and Morty. But you can tell that people like Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland want to focus on other things and other shows. It's no longer the show that they need to focus their time on. Like, I wish Dan Harmon wasn't working on that NFT-driven sitcom that we have yet to see one piece of footage of. Oh, right. I forgot that existed. Well, it's because they keep pushing the NFT nonsense on us. Like, it's so ridiculous that he got involved with that. But of course, now he's working on, like, producing Little Demon and working on the community movie and whatever. But, and Royland has, like, Koala Man and Solar Opposites. So... It's like, I want to have both story-driven adult animation and comedy-driven adult animation, or a combination to both. Variety is the spice of life. But it's becoming clearer and clearer as the years go on and how volatile the animation industry is. Where, like, what is keeping people and what's not keeping people invested? There comes a time where... Being just edgy, joke-filled, like, rage machines, that audience is going to grow out of it. And that's fine. But there will be a time where they're just, like, there's going to be no one left because people moved on to watch something like Arcane and Primal or animated shows that were mostly meant for younger audiences but have very adult messages and tones, like Centaur World. Centaur World was a very goofy show from last year. And it was one of my favorites because it was able to do what shows like Inside Job and Little Demon were able to pull off by being goofy, but have a more 
complex underbelly. That was a good example. And just generally speaking, moving forward, I want to see more variety. And not for adult animation specifically, I don't just want to see action and comedy. I want to see more shows like Pantheon, which which lean into like hard sci-fi or maybe get like a Western or film noir, expand what the medium can do. And that's how you'll attract a more diverse audience. And like, I loved Vox Machina from earlier this year, and I'm so excited for the new season in January of 2023. And that means that executives need to stop worrying about the bottom dollar because you can't expect continual growth and not see stagnation as time goes on. You need to invest and to experiment, to be weird, to be different. It could be based on something that pre-exists. That's okay. It could be original. That's great. Not everything that's based off of a pre-existing IP is great, and not everything original is great. But when they're both are great, the world is a happy, happy place. Adult animation seems to slowly but surely move forward with what kind of shows it wants to craft within that little subsection of the animation world we need more shows like vox machina invincible inside job little demon pantheon primal we need less like farzar and fairview people don't want short-term shenanigans unless it's crafted well and it's really all is going to come down to writing characters and how it's all crafted it's interesting to see like with what's going on with the world of animation right now and just how tumultuous it is how many projects are getting canceled left and right i'm hoping that stops soon where everyone can just stop the fire from spreading the bleeding to stop i'm hoping the people in the animation world who create these shows get better treatments because they need it after this year yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. 2022, been a hard year for a lot of people, but especially for people who are in the animation industry who are basically being treated like dirt across the board. I really just want to see them all thrive and to be able to create the things that they love. Because it seems like this year was kind of a downstep in terms of TV stuff. Like 2021 had so many vibrant shows, so many different kinds of shows. And because of Netflix, Warner Brothers Discovery, and Disney, it's like we're starting to see that hindrance of executive meddling in decision-making hamper arts. And even though everyone wants to say, just go indie, good luck. That's its own hellscape deal with. But that's like a topic for another time. We'll talk about more of this when do our little yearly wrap-ups and such. For now, just a quick recommendation, since I just happen to be lucky enough to see this movie in theaters. Netflix is giving Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio a limited theatrical release. And guys... If it's playing in your area, you have to go. This is the very definition of a passion project where pretty much every single frame, you can feel Del Toro and 
the creative team's passion in everything from the character designs to the backgrounds, all of the physical sets, even the music. Alexander Desplat's score is just gorgeous. The new songs that are written are incredible. And the voice cast is great. When this is out on Netflix, we will definitely talk about this more in greater detail. But for now, please, please, please go see this in theaters if you can. I was super jelly because all of the theaters that's playing it here in Austin are way too far away for me to actually go to. And I hate that. But I am super happy people are able to see this film very early and in theaters because that's so neat. I love when people get to catch streaming exclusive movies in theaters. I loved seeing Dolomite is my name on the big screen. One of my favorite experiences from 2019 because, you know, everyone should be able to enjoy seeing films ahead of time at one point or another, because if you wish death upon people who get to see movies before you, you're not a good person, buddy. (laughs) <laughs> no, not at all. I got to see movies ahead of everyone else. I got to see Wendell and Wild and My Father's Dragon before they hit Netflix on the big screen. So I love that feeling and I want everyone to get to feel that like that euphoric experience. One more thing before you give your recommendation. I hope Netflix continues this streak of giving their films a little bit wider theatrical distribution because the more alternative ways that they can turn a profit, the better that will be for any new artists, writers, directors, any creators who are employed with the studio moving forward. Yeah, I don't want Netflix to stop doing this because they were one of the bastions of getting stuff made that studios are not interested in right now which is really sad because animation was in such demand but now it's like nope i guess we're just going to backtrack all that demand even though charts have shown that animation was one of the things that people watched the most during these last few years so i hope they keep at the very least even if they're just putting down just a few less films which it wouldn't hurt them because of their, you know, bleeding money and all that stuff. But I want them to continue to make movies with people like Del Toro, Gutierrez, Chris Williams. I want Netflix to make another movie with Henry Selleck. I don't care if it didn't fully work out for them. Just make another movie. People loved Wendell and Wild. Their most watched movie of the year is not The Gray Man. It's not any of their big Oscar hopefuls, it's the Sea Beast. It would be a shame if Netflix didn't continue this onslaught of like creative films by creative artists. For my recommendation, I want to talk about an anime that caught me by surprise, and that's Blue Lock, which is the one sports anime of the fall 2022 anime season where basically it's a bunch of like top tier high school soccer players are put into this new system called Blue Lock to become the best of the best. And it's done in such a way that's creative, 
intense and actually makes a sports anime compelling because they're all talented they now just have to keep pushing and sometimes being selfish about how they play to make a compelling destructive powerhouse of a soccer team and how everything unfolds from the characters to the rules and world of blue lock was some of the year's most visually stunning animation especially in the facial reactions it's a good looking show it's probably the best sports anime next to salary man's club from this year and you know me i love 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 salary man's club that's my recommendation for this episode now we'll be probably taking a break but our plans next time are to get back and talking about Ghibli and then talk about some of the uh, Mickey Mouse adjacent stuff, which they are dumping a ton of Mickey Mouse stuff on us right at the very end of the year. I was kind of amazed about it. About that. Two days ago on November 18th, that is the 95th anniversary of Mickey Mouse's first sound cartoon, Steamboat Willie. Yeah, we'll be talking about a documentary called Mickey, the Story of a Mouse. And this is a weird one. Disney and Stupid Buddy Studios have a stop-motion Christmas special called Mickey Saves Christmas. It's so unreal to watch Stupid Buddy Studios make a Disney thing, only because I am just constantly awaiting the dark humor to pop up. When it's not going to happen, which is so funny to me. Like, I watch those clips, and I'm like, where's the violent joke going to happen? <laughs> like, where's the crossover pop culture's grot that Robot Chicken built itself upon going to happen? Right? It's nowhere to be found. <laughs> but we'll have to see. I'm very curious to see all of those. And, of course, we'll be doing reviews for Strange World and Pinocchio. And then mid-December, our plan is to do the big anime yearly roundup to talk about like what were our favorite shows or impressions and just where anime was for this year. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to all of that. But until then, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? You can find me at uh, like Twitter at Cam's Eye View. Well, as long as Twitter stands. I have my own website called camseyeview.biz where I review animated films and shows for around the world called The Other Side of Animation. I have a link tree at link, uh, yeah, link t.re slash camseyeview to where you can find my like my Facebook group, my Patreon at patreon.com slash camseyeview, my letterbox accounts, and my Instagram and that's where you can find me. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can follow Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can also find us on YouTube, on Podchaser, on the Banana Meter. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, everything can be found at RenegadePopCulture.com. You can escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.